Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society to discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Since winning the Great British Bake Off six years ago, Nadia Hussein has surpassed becoming a household name to becoming an international star. The likes of Hollywood's finest Arnold Schwarzenegger is a self-professed fan and health advocate Chelsea Clinton has been obsessing over Nadia's strawberry shortcake cupcakes on social media. Her latest cookbook, Nadia's latest cookbook, that is, Fast Flavors, is accompanied by a new BBC programme airing Thursdays, focusing on everyday cooking. Nadia Hussain, uh, welcome to Times Radio. Fast Flavours, uh, both the book and the TV show, is all about sort of bringing the fun back to everyday meals. And I guess part of bringing the fun back is making them easy and swift to create because <clears throat> we are all quite time pressed. So I'm guessing that's that's sort of at the heart of what inspired you to set about this series. Well, absolutely. I think for me, one thing that is a common thread whenever I uh, write my cookbooks, whenever I do my cookery shows, is that I'm a mum of three and I've got a busy household. And as I don't want to compromise on flavour, but I do want to get things done quickly. I want to do as few dishes as possible. That's really important to me. And, you know, I want it always to be packed. I want my food to always be packed with flavour. It doesn't matter how much time I spend in the kitchen. And, and flavour doesn't necessarily always mean spending hours or days or weeks in the kitchen. It can just be simple ingredients just used really well. And I think for me, it was really important to write this book because it is just the way I cook. It's the way I cook. I use things that I have knocking around the house. And um, and with that, you can create delicious flavours. We're told to watch what we eat all the time. You know, we count calories. People, yeah. you know, fret about, you know, where their foods come from. I mean, there's so many pressures on us to do with food. Do you think that we sometimes forget to <laughs> to just enjoy it? Yes, I think that is, um, for me, food is about enjoyment. And um, food is about 
comfort. It's about um, sharing. It's about being with the people you love. And I think, you know, for me, even when I cook something delicious and my kids come home after school and the first I know they're home because they they, I can hear the lids of the pan going. <laughs> yeah. That's how I know they're home. And, and that to me is love. And that's every single day. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, I think so often we're told uh, what we should and shouldn't be doing, what we shouldn't be eating, what we should be eating. And, and we live in this world where there's a right and wrong for everything. And actually, food is there to be enjoyed, whether, whether you're making it, whether you're eating, whether you're sharing it. And, and I just don't want people to forget that because I think somewhere during the pandemic, really kind of, enjoy being in the kitchen much much more and and as we go back into a whatever that normal life might be um we're kind of we're going to lose that and I'm really scared that we're, we're going to lose that so I want to be able to kind of uh give people recipes to help them feel inspired if anything to cook something delicious and what about when it comes to our health how much do you concern yourself with that you know in terms of the ingredients you put in things and stuff I was watching you make that macaroni cheese now I know you're a big fan of, of marmite and or yeast paste as you call it to avoid probably promoting it but it was your desert island luxury but this macaroni cheese that you made must have had about seven billion calories in it I mean it looked absolutely delicious but but it nearly gave me a heart attack just watching you make it Um, lucky for me I don't count that kind of stuff I think yeah I'm not about um you know it's very easy to get sucked into that world where you're kind of concerned about um every little detail and and what I don't want for my children is to have they've got enough complexes as it is as teenagers you know they worry about everything anyway last thing I need them to do is to worry about what they eat because food is there to be enjoyed and it's about balance you know it's not you know for me it's always been about balance you know as long as we're up and we're um, exercising whether that's going for a walk in the woods having a mac and cheese is there's no problem and also remember I'm not going to eat the entire mac and cheese on my own. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I felt like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have been known to like, if there's a corner missing, that's usually me. And I'm usually the one that can't sit through an entire meal because I will have already picked the entire day eating like bits out of things. So yeah, I can never sit down and have a full meal because I've picked the whole day. But yeah, um, you know, things are to be shared. And I think if we focus too much on things like calories and carbs and all of that it just takes away from the enjoyment you know have balance you know go on have mac and cheese go on a bike ride you know what's you know balance (laughs) I love have mac and cheese go on a bike ride there's a quote you know ironically though I suppose the food that you were brought up eating uh, the Bangladeshi food that that your mother cooked and and, and I noticed you said you know and not to have too many different aspects to it the meals that you cook you know in terms of, of wanting them to be fast and so but but the Bangladeshi meals that that your mother cooked would have taken hours and hours and hours and hours to create and would involve six upwards of six curries and things but actually would have been incredibly healthy as well because there's an awful lot of vegetarian food in there isn't there yeah I mean we um we kind of in in Bangladeshi cuisine we eat a lot of fish and so there's a lot of really good oily fish that we eat so yeah it's although it's a long process um, and there's a lot of ingredients you know it is really good for you but you know it, 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 you, then, you know my mum cooks seven or eight curries I mean she has nobody living with her anymore and she still cooks seven or eight curries but then we do rock up and then eat and then fill Tupperware and then leave and she's like and you wonder why I cook eight curries it's because we all turn up with our children and eat eat her out of house and home but you know it's we you know we Bangladeshi food is 
um, really wholesome, really good for you, lots of vegetables. I cook my kids a variation of food, but they always naturally seem to want to just eat rice and curry. They love it. It's just a part of, I suppose, who they are. Do you think they're watching your mum labour intensively to create these extraordinary meals that she felt was just, you know, the normal thing to do to feed and love her family do you think it put you off the intensity of that amount of of of, of labor being put in I, you know I grew up in a home where there were very specific gender roles you know mum cooked mum looked after the family dad worked and I think that's what scared me I think what what made me really nervous as a young teenager was um, taking up those roles and thinking actually is that my job is that like my sole purpose is just to cook and feed my family and um, and the truth is I, it's something I really enjoy doing I love you know if I could not have my kids in the kitchen and, and just get on with it by myself I happily would but I also understand that I want my kids to be um, I want them to be confident in the kitchen and know how to cook a basic meal a curry you know about a bolognese and, and give them some variety so they know what they're doing but yeah I think that really scared me because my mom used to spend a lot of time in the kitchen she wasn't always a happy person in the kitchen because when you're feeding six children um and often like extended family you know my mom's cooking for my mom isn't a happy place whereas for me it is um, and it isn't just about feeding my family it's about selfishly doing something that I love that comes across so strongly in the program just how much fun you're actually having in the kitchen or perhaps you're just a brilliant actress but I don't think even an Oscar winning actress could conjure up that amount of enjoyment how much is 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 what you cook an amalgamation of all the influences like it's a sort of perfect multicultural hot pot I was laughing at the macaroni cheese but then I was looking at the vindaloo that you made which exactly as you said in the program I've always thought vindaloo was just something that blasted your head off and only masochists would order like my husband but actually the one you made looked incredibly flavorsome and and, and probably bearably hot yeah I mean I always talk about being um being being a child of that gray area because you know as somebody who grew up in a Bangladeshi household traditional Bangladeshi home traditional Bangladeshi food you know I also kind of I I was born here um and I grew up on British food as in school dinners um that must have been horrible oh my goodness no oh my goodness I used to love it like like it was such a contrast to what we had at home so it was it was a welcome change on a weekday when I could have pizza chips and beans like that was lovely I used <laughs> to love it um, and then cake you know cake with custard that was amazing but yeah we, you know uh, I, I I like to think that I live somewhere in that gray area where I get to um, create recipes from things that I love you know processes that I've learned from my mom and and, and skills that I've learned from you know just kind of exploring traveling so you know I live in this kind of gray area which many of us do you know where we kind of don't fit in in either world and we kind of create our own little world and 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 for me my happy place is in the kitchen and that's where I really get to kind of express who I am in a sense because I kind of take bits of things that I've learned through traveling through my mom through things that my grands taught me and you know British food and then just kind of put the two together and and don't get me wrong that people aren't always happy about that but I don't care. So do you think that the the food that you create really illustrates your life philosophy in a way? Yeah I think I think if you kind of look at it like that I'd, I'd never really thought about that but I think for me because I don't really fit in I I don't think I'll ever really fit into either of those worlds you have to learn to create space for yourself where you are 
like you are comfortable in that space and it is your space and you can kind of wholeheartedly say this is where I'm at and this is where I'm comfortable and I think my food says that and I think there are lots of people out there who do like me don't really fit in anywhere and they think you know what actually where do I fit and and you can express that through food and you know as much as cooking is is sustenance and it is to feed our family it is also uh, an expressive um it, it, it's a, it, it is a tool of expression and and i do think that it, there is an art form in in cooking and creating you, you say you don't fit in but you seem to me to fit in absolutely perfectly what 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 makes you feel that you don't fit in what what made you feel that you didn't fit in and when did when when are you conscious of of, of having that sense i suppose um it's all very easy to kind of look from the outside and say, oh, well, of course you fit in. You're just like the rest of us. And, and the truth is, I'm uh, part of me is that I'm never going to be British enough. I'm never really going to be Bangladeshi enough. And, and that's kind of come to a sense, especially over the last six years, where I've always kind of felt like there was this space that I never fitted in, whether that was uh, walking into a room full of relatives who might say, you know what, actually, you're not promoting Bangladeshi recipes enough. Um, and or walking into a meeting room where I am just me and there is nobody else like me. Um, and, you know, things like that. So, you know, there have been moments in my last throughout my life, but also certainly in the last six years where I felt like I haven't fitted in. And that mattered to me a lot. You know, you know, if you told me 10 years ago, you know, is fitting in important? I would have said, absolutely. Who doesn't want to fit in? But actually, that doesn't matter to me anymore. Fitting in isn't important. Uh, being true to who you are is. And I think that, you know, that, and I do that through my food. And, and, and that's where I fit in. And that's where there are a barrage of people who love the food that I cook and say, you know, what? actually, you are just like me. And that is important to me. That's important to me. What was it like as a teenager feeling that you didn't fit in or, or was, was it later in life that you started to think about that? As a teenager, like I suppose I lived in this very safe, very comfortable bubble of um, an immigrant community where everybody knew everyone's name. You know, I spoke the language, uh, we shared food. And so there was a safety in being in that kind of bubble. And, you know, the school I went to was an all girls school where it was pretty much everybody came from an immigrant household. Um, most of us were first generation British and they were either from Pakistani background or Bangladeshi background uh, or from. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was usually where everyone, everyone I ever grew up with was either Pakistani or Bangladeshi. So to be fair, I never felt out of my comfort zone around people like me Um, and it was really only when I kind of stepped out and went to college and then started you know stepped into the world of of employment I realized oh my goodness this is a whole other world for me and 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 that for me was that was interesting and that's where sometimes I didn't feel like I always fitted in And, and and that kind of you go through that as a teenager you go through that those stages of actually how do I morph myself in so more how do I morph myself enough to be able to fit in with this crowd and by doing that you end up kind of alienating the people that you grew up with your whole life so it's about finding that happy medium and the truth is the happy medium only really comes when you're happy with yourself and that came much later on in life you know that took a long time you know post-motherhood post-bake-off you know like it took a long time to be to, to say to myself actually I actually don't need to fit in anywhere. I'm actually really comfortable as I am. At what point did you realise, what gave you the strength to think, um, you know what, I don't care, I'm me. 
Um, you know, all of those stages of your life where, you know, like I, I to this day, the best job I've ever had was being a stay at home mom, because that's a luxury that lots of people don't have, you know, to be able to stay at home and not need to work. And, you know, you know, you cut back, but you stay at home. And that's what I did. And I loved that. And I'd never, ever changed that. Um, but I don't think it was a specific moment for me. It was. Uh, there was a point where I'd had enough and it was just like when am I going to stop berating myself when am I going to just stop having a go at myself when am I going to just be okay in the skin that I'm in and you know and like just be okay as I am and not worry about fitting in everywhere and actually you know I think there was a point I think probably when I had my daughter and I realized that you know this you know she has to live apart from all the other obstacles that she will have she's also a woman and she has to live through all of the things that I've lived through if not more and so you know like for me I think there were little specific moments in my life where it it, it, I had to get through I suppose you have to experience those things and you have to jump those hurdles to get to the point where I'm at now where actually I think for me, there's, there was a point where I just said, you know, I don't actually care anymore. I actually don't want to fit in anymore. I can only ever just be me. And that was liberating to be able to say that to myself. What's harder is, though, to, is to live by those words because we are human after all. And we always kind of slip back in kind of old ways and old ways of thinking and memories and, and, and things that trigger us. But it, it's easy to say, but harder to live by. But I try every day just to say, you know, what, it's okay. It's okay to just be you. You don't have to fit in anywhere. Um, and that's something I try and teach my kids every day. But, you know, they're teenagers. They feel like they don't fit anywhere anyway. Yeah, true. Absolutely. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Nadia, we, we've talked a lot about uh, not fitting in, but w- one of the things about television, of course, is, is is that it puts you right in the sort of glare of the spotlight. You suddenly got, you know, the whole nation watching you as 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 you had on Bake Off. Was that not terribly intimidating? Yeah, there's no hiding, is there? And and I think people laugh at me when I say I don't like being the centre of attention. I don't like photos being taken. I don't like taking photos. I don't 
like being in videos, I just kind of naturally just stay away from them. It's so bizarre because now I live in a world where there's a camera, if not four, on me all at the same time, looking at me from every angle. So it is a weird one. But, you know, six years ago when I started doing this, you know, it, it wasn't something that it felt natural, but it, I didn't, it took a while to become comfortable, you know, and it, there is no job I would rather be doing than this, because now when there's a camera on me, it feels safe. It feels like home. It feels like something that I've done time and time again. And the truth is, you know, it's, it's my enthusiasm and my love for my recipes, but also teaching people the recipes, but also, you know, showing them that, you know, I can hold their hands and we can kind of do this together. I think that is what really is what I really enjoy. And so there are moments where um, I do feel really nervous when the camera, because there is a moment where everybody's, you know, kind of around you and there's lots of noises and tweaking of lights and cameras and, and bits and bobs and making sure the onions are chopped properly. And then it's like action and that's it. Everything goes quiet and it's all on me everybody's done the work together but then I have to do it all by myself but that that was quite daunting at the very beginning but now I really enjoy my job and what's been hardest for me is the transition of saying you know I've had to stop myself from saying you're really lucky and started to say to myself actually you're really good at what you do and I think as a woman I think women are not very good at saying actually hey you're actually really good at what you do and it's important to step back stop and say you know what you are good at your job. You're good at what you do. And nobody could do it like you. And that's why I have to tell myself. You also seem, I mean, watching the programme, it's got all the tropes of a, of a cookery programme, but it feels incredibly, genuinely you. And that isn't something you can say about every cookery show that you watch or, or any, you know, real life, as it were, show that you watch. I wondered how hard you've had to fight to get to that point where it is exactly as you want it to be rather than as other people might have thought it should be. It's tricky in the world of television because there's a lot of kind of it can, you know, if you if you're not um, strong and if you're not kind of like if you don't have an opinion, it's it's easy to be just kind of molded, I suppose, and um, into a version of yourself that perhaps you don't recognize. And that's what I said. That's something that I never ever wanted is for me to be molded or shaped into a version of myself that I didn't relate to or I didn't myself as so yeah I am every every producer every director's nightmare because I'm all over everything I'm like oh but I don't want that here and I want this there and I like this here and I want to do that and um yeah so I (laughs) I am all over everything even down to the color of my lips everything all of it it's just it's all me it's all me and I'm so proud of that I'm so proud of that but also I'm really proud of the team because we work really really hard to make sure we get everything exactly as it should be um and as long as I'm happy and they're happy. We make the best, you know, we make the best of that time together and hopefully create a wonderful cookery show that not only inspires people to cook, but also helps them to feel uplifted Um, because, you know, ultimately that's what I want. I want people to smile from ear to ear while they're watching the show, whether they want to cook it or not, I want them to be smiling. Have you had pushback for that? Because I would have thought that at least, you know, when you were fresh out off Bake Off and you were just beginning this 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 career on on television and in the public eye, that people would have felt that they knew better. I think in any job, whether that's television or not, there's always going to be a higher power and someone's going to say, oh, you know, 
I think this would work, or I think this is better. Um, but you know, it's taken me, and, and I'm totally okay with that. Like I'm okay with that because as somebody who's never been a part of the industry, I am all for feedback. I'm all for kind of guidance and being um, taught. You know, I'm open for that always because it's not my domain. It's not something that I'm good at, but what I am good at is cooking. And that's something that was always, always at the top of my list of priorities is that as long as we get the recipes right and we get the right recipes and we make sure that, you know, I'm all over it. I'm like, this is the recipe that needs to go in this chapter. This is the chapters, you know, this is the, this is the, the, the name of the, of the first episode, you know, I'm all over all of that. So for me, as long as we don't lose integrity in terms of the recipe, I'm happy to be kind of um, directed and, and, and told what's the right thing to do what the wrong thing is to do but yeah I'm an open book because I love learning and I love um, and as long as our team are happy I'm happy a lot of outside pressure also comes with, with the role that you now have. You're, you're not just uh, a cook on our TV screens and someone who writes cookery books, but you're one of the most visible British Muslims in the media. Just recently, you spoke about the challenges of what it's like to be a British Muslim during the anniversary of 9-11 or, or when the Taliban had taken Kabul. Is it a conversation that you've had to have with your children and just how, how difficult is it? And, and how difficult is it to feel the pressure of being representative as well as just doing the thing that you love and the thing that's your job you know if I didn't have to talk about politics or current affairs or um you know the terror attacks then I would be left alone to really be good at my craft and really hone in on the craft that I'm good at um and and yeah so you know if you'd asked me six years ago you know how do you feel about talking about all of this I would have said completely absolutely no way we're just talking about cooking and baking and that's it but you know I understand the pressure of needing to, I understand that as a British Muslim woman, I kind of, I have these added layers that I kind of have to, I represent different groups of people. But what I'm not is, what I've never ever said is that I'm a perfect version of myself. So I can't, I can't be answerable for other people's actions when something happens in the media and there's a terror attack, you know, I'm the, you know, I always, I always expect some sort of social media platform to kind of pick up on the fact that um, I'm also a Muslim, but I can't answer for those people. And so, yeah, it is hard. I, I, I will not lie when I say that it is really difficult to have to answer for people who I'm not responsible for. Um, and, and, I, and, and that's something that, you know, unfortunately comes with being a part of the uh, public eye. And I just kind of watch it unfold, see it happen. And then I just kind of leave it as it is because my natural reaction is to answer and to respond. And I sometimes it's, it, it's better not to. So, yeah, I've got to learn. That I've, I've, learned, I've become better at protecting myself. You also have attracted attention because of the nature of your marriage, which was an arranged marriage. I have to say, I, I was riveted listening to you talk about it. I think it was on Desert Island Disc, but, but you were talking about the sort of six months uh, where of courtship, as it were, where you didn't meet each other, but where you talked to each other, where you asked him a lot of very specific questions about oh, his, yeah. his future plans and what he intended and and so on. But you've also described your wedding day as the worst day of your life and I wonder you know with all those tensions around that idea whether it's something that you still think works whether whether you think that you would want that for your children or whether you think there are other ways yeah I see the difference with my marriage and other people's uh, I suppose relationship status is that 
we did the whole um, courting, but post-marriage, I suppose, we did all the ups and the downs and the not sures and the, is this going to work? We did all that, but within the kind of binds of, of, of marriage. And so uh, we, yeah, so it was one of those things that, you know, we, we went through every emotion you can possibly think of and every hurdle, emotional hurdle that you can think of, like any couple, whether you're married or not married, but the only thing was we had no get out clause because we were married. So we we had to kind of make it work. As somebody who had a kind of semi-arranged marriage, yes, of course, I can say it works because, you know, we've worked really hard to make it work. We've got three amazing children. We have a wonderful life together. And we love each other so much. But, you know, I think often people um, mistake arranged marriage to, to, for forced marriage and they're two very different things and they can absolutely work if you have the kind of freedom of movement and 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 um, getting to know somebody so absolutely yes they can work do I want that for my own children no I don't think I do because it's a lot of hard work <laughs> but of course if my kids said you know what mom I'd love for you to find somebody for me I have a little black book <laughs> I have lots of numbers and and people that I know that so if 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 it ever were to come to that I will whip out my little black book and get all my contacts of course you will listen just finally because you, you've also been extremely uh, brave in terms of how you engage with social media and you know it's not always pleasant sometimes it is uh, sometimes it makes you feel better about yourself sometimes it makes you feel a lot worse and anxious and um, on Instagram you recently posted posted a, a close-up of tripe, uh, which is the lining of the stomach of a lamb in this case. But you said we need to embrace all of the animal. I, I wonder how much you think about the environment and, and you know, we've just had COP26 and, 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 and yeah. so on, all of that uh, when it comes to your cookery, about sustainability, about getting ingredients nearer to home, about, as you said, uh, you know, we must yeah. eat all the animal. We all have a responsibility um, and it's, you know, we can't, the truth is, you know, we can't, how much can we trust the people in, in, in higher power? So we have to, a lot of it has to come from us. And a lot of our food waste, most of it uh, comes from our homes. Uh, and, and lots of people think that it comes from the um, restaurant industry, but actually it doesn't. It, a lot of it comes from our own homes. So we have a responsibility as people who eat to make sure that we are not wasting, making sure, because that is ultimately going to impact every other aspect of climate change. So, you know, when, when, you know, when we eat an animal, I grew up eating tripe, I grew up eating um, heart and lungs and livers and all of those kind of the innards. And they're, to be honest, they're the best bits. And if you can eat it in a sausage, why can you not eat it? as it is. So for me, we are all responsible. Just finally, I know I said finally, but um, on Bangladesh, because uh, obviously it's 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 where your parents came from and it's a, a, a country you went back to for, I think, and lived for seven months when you were a child and worked on the land and actually loved it so much that you didn't really want to come back to Britain. And of course, it is one of the countries that's at the forefront of the climate catastrophe that's going on. How much do you concern yourself with that and how much does it impact on your wider family who are still there and and working the land as you did when you went there for your seven month sabbatical yeah I think Bangladesh is right there at the kind of tip of the iceberg I suppose and and, and that it's being affected I never really realized till I have conversations with people who are still out there and a lot of my family and a lot of my husband's family are still out there so and and my family still work the land so they still kind of um, they're landowners and, and they're farmers and they sow rice. And so, 
yeah, of course it affects them because when they have no rain, there's no rice. And by, you know, and so, and sometimes there's too much rain and they can't grow rice. So of course it's affecting them. And it's something that I try to keep myself educated on and updated on, but it's hard to know. It's easy to feel lost in the um, enormity of it, enormity of of the whole situation, because as much as I want to, you know, it's easy for me to sit here in the comfort of my home and say, yeah, you know, let's, you know, eat all the animals and save our scraps and, and, and it's easy, but then, you know, um, but then it it is quite daunting when you think about how big, uh, how big a crisis we're heading towards. Uh, But if, if you get caught up in all of that, it's hard to do your bit from home. So I think start small and let's just, let's do our bit from home. Let's do what we can. to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.